0: Hey, I want to welcome you to Sunday morning at FBCO. We're so glad to have you with us. Uh, If you need any information from our church, you can text us, or if you want someone to pray with you about a prayer request, or if you'd like someone uh, to explain to you how you can know Christ as Savior, we'll help in all of those sorts of ways. We're glad that you're joining us today. We do this every weekend until we can, in fact, we'll do it beyond when we can gather together. One day we'll gather together again. As soon as we're able to, we'll do that. But in the meantime, uh, we're glad we can do this. And then, of course, beyond, we'll continue to uh, do online services. If you'd like help finding a small group Bible study, we call them life groups. They meet with lots of different options. If you'll text us, we'll help you find a class that matches you and that will fit you well. And some of those classes study the same text as the message and some uh, do another study. So we'll help you find a class that will really match you well. Well, open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. And if you have your Bible, we'll put the words on the screen. But if you have your Bible, it's good to follow along with us. I'm working my way through the book of John, uh, of James, rather, normally on uh, Sunday mornings. But this week and on occasion, we'll take some uh, little detours. And this week, we're going to look at the book of Revelation, chapter 2, And we'll read there, beginning with verse 1. It's a passage that taught what Jesus is talking to the churches. In fact, he talks to seven different churches. Early in the book of Revelation, we see him talking to the churches. And of course, he puts this in his word because he wants us to learn from these as well. So we're going to look this morning at what Jesus had to say to the church in Ephesus. And of course, through that, what he has to say to us. These are the words of Jesus spoken to the church. So let's read Revelation chapter 2. Let's begin with verse 1. The Bible says these words, write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and he walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor and your endurance and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardship for the sake of my name and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God." Well, this is a great, important passage. And some weeks ago, I was reading this and just in my devotional time, and uh, man, God just used it in my life. And he has often, this has been an important passage in my life. And I just felt impressed that I should uh, use this message as our text on this Sunday morning. And I'm praying God will use it in your life as he's using it in mine, because it really reminds us of some critical, really core issues in the faith. Some really critical and core issues of the faith, particularly about our love for the Lord. And so let's note three things Jesus does for the church at Ephesus. And I believe if he were writing a, a letter to the church at O'Fallon this day, he would say some of these very things perhaps, and the things that he's saying to our hearts individually. So if you have a pen or a pencil and something to write with, let's note these as we go. I'll have you write down some principles, three different principles and a couple of subpoints along the way. So let's note first of all, Jesus commends he commends the church at Ephesus. I believe he would commend many in our uh, churches today, many believers. And let's note what Jesus does here, uh, what he says to the church at Ephesus. And this is the Lord Jesus speaking to them, the one who, who uh, holds the uh, golden lampstand, who holds the stars, seven stars in his right hand, the messengers of the church, who walks among the church itself. He says this in verse 2 I know your works, your labor, and your endurance and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be liars. He's saying here, he's commending the church in in three different ways. First, he's commending their service. They were faithful in service. He said, I know your works and your labor and your endurance. This is a church that is willing to roll up its sleeves and, and work. It's not the kind of church that says, you know, uh, that's what we pay the pastor to do, right? I mean, he's the one who's supposed to minister. The Bible says, a part of my responsibility is to equip the saints, that's all believers, for the work of the ministry. So every Christian is to be involved in ministry. Every Christian is to be involved in service. Service is at the heart of who we are as believers. And there are so many in our church who see this. The church at Ephesus understood this. They said, we are involved in ministry. And uh, the Bible says, Jesus said, I know your works. I'm not unaware of the work that you do. Your labor, they were willing to do the difficult things even, not just the easy things, but even the difficult things. It's one thing just to volunteer for a moment. It's another to really pour your life into into ministries and serve in those ways. And your endurance, he says, they stayed at it. I mean, they were faithful week after week and month after month and year after year and decade after decade and for a lifetime. There's something about that that's powerful. And Jesus commends the church because they're a church that serves. Jesus loves service. He made us to serve. He saves us to serve. He wants us to serve. I love the story of a lady who was in our church for many years. She's gone on to be with the Lord now. Her name was Mrs. Turnipseed. I'm not making up that name. That's her name, Mrs. Turnipseed. What a sweet, wonderful lady. I always thought Mrs. The, the name Turnipseed's a little unusual. I, I said, she was a widow by the time I met her. But I said, I know Mrs. Turnipseed must have loved her husband. Because when she was a young girl, she did probably with some... Uh, my wife probably wrote out, you know, when, when we started dating, you know, what would it look like to say Vicky Munton? You know, how would that sound? Well, she was writing up out her name, Maxine Turnipseed, and she must have loved that man because she took that name willingly for the rest of her life. And she was a faithful servant. She came to me one day. She was well into her eighties, well into her eighties, and she came to me one day and she said, "Pastor, I am so excited." Now, love it. <laughs> when someone in their 80s is excited about faith. They don't just see it as you know boring or doing the same routine. She was excited about her faith and excited about service. She said, Pastor, I'm so excited. I found a new ministry. I love it when our senior adults, and we've got plenty who are great, great, wonderful servants who, man, they've sacrificed. They've gone through all kinds of changes in our church. They were the ones who helped us relocate all the, all the things that God has done in our church. And I love it when a senior adult says the word new I'm excited about something new. And she was excited about a new ministry. She was in her, well into her 80s. And she found the ministry of helping, she began to serve in helping uh, children who had come to faith or who were asking questions about faith, this new believers class that we have still, first steps class that we have still in our church today. And she was excited about serving in that way. And I said, God bless Mrs. Turnip Seed. We need more people like that who are willing to serve, who are willing to do what Jesus commends here. I know your works and your labor and your endurance, there is something powerful about service. And if you're willing to serve, there's a power to that. And the Lord knows that. He is not unaware of your service. Sometimes I forget to say thank you. I'm sorry to say. Sometimes I forget to just, you know, notice what people are doing. But there are so many in our church who have served so faithfully, some for years and years and years and still serving the Lord faithfully. God bless you. May your tribe increase. Jesus commends the church for service. And he commends this church in Ephesus for discernment. They have strong discernment. He says, uh, you cannot tolerate evil people. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. In verse six, he says, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. It was a group who was promoting immorality as a part of their worship. And and they, they had discernment. They recognized the difference between right and wrong and good and bad. In a day, in a generation, in our own day, when people have lost sight of what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong, when people say everything just, whatever feels good, do it. We need discernment. We need to recognize what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong. And of course, the Lord commends discernment, the ability to know his word. We want to know what God says, what God, not just what our culture says, but what does God say. We want to apply God's word to the day in which we live, to show them the truth of who God is and what he wants, and to live out that faith, and to have discernment, to know God's word is one of the reasons why we study the Bible in life groups. It's one of the reasons why we open the Bible in our worship services. It's one of the reasons why we emphasize being a Bible-based church because we want discernment. We want to know what God has to say. Not just what is popular or what the culture has to say, but what does God have to say. And this was a church. The church at Ephesus was into the word. They knew what God had to say and they showed great discernment and Jesus commended them for that. And then they had Sacrifice willing sacrifice. In verse three, the Bible says, Jesus said, I know that you have persevered. You, you didn't just work. You persevered. You stayed at it. You've endured hardship for the sake of my name. We're not the first generation who's ever faced a difficulty. These, This generation, these days are not the only days that have been difficult. Many people throughout history have faced difficulties. In fact, many Christians, even in our own day, not so much in our uh, proximity, but in throughout the world have faced great, great persecution for faith. And Jesus knows their perseverance and he knows they've endured hardship. And many of you have sacrificed for the cause of Christ. You've been faithful to God. He says, you've endured hardship for the sake of my name, not just doing it because it's something you do, but because you want to glorify the Lord. What we do ought to be to glorify the Lord. All that we do ought to be to glorify the Lord. And, and the Bible says, and you have not grown weary. I mean, they didn't, they didn't just sacrifice a while and just get tired. I mean, they stayed faithful to God through the most difficult times. And even in difficult times, some of you are facing some financial difficulties. And I want to ask you to stay faithful to the Lord. Some of you have faced um, maybe some medical problems and issues. Man, stay faithful to the Lord. Maybe you've had some relationship problems living in this broken, fallen world. You've had all the problems that come with living in a broken world. And there is something powerful about enduring and persevering and doing it for the glory of God. There is a power to that. And Jesus knows these things. He is not unaware. And he commends the church at Ephesus. And he commends those of you who are following him. There is a power to this. And Jesus commends the church. Now, I want you to see a second principle. Just write this in your notes, if you would, please. Not only does Jesus commend, but Jesus condemns. Jesus condemns. So go with me to verse 4. The Lord, right on the heels of saying all the great things the church at Ephesus has done, he says, But I have this against you. Those are shocking words. How could Jesus say to the church at Ephesus, I have something against you, when he just talked about their service and their discernment and their sacrifice? Because we would say, Well, that's a great church. They're active, they love the church. Formed by the Lord Jesus, they care about it. In a generation that tends to not care about the church, they, I mean, they care about it. They, they're faithful. They serve. They find ways to minister. They have discernment. They know right from wrong. They've, done, they've been involved in Bible studies. They've sacrificed for the cause of Christ. They've tried to glorify the Lord through their giving, through their activity. Through, I mean, this is, we would say this is a great church. And in many ways, there's so many wonderful things about the church at Ephesus. Jesus commends them. But then he says, I have this against you. Well, what in the world could he have against a church like this? Here it is in verse 4. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. He's saying, Church at Ephesus, listen, I I know you're still serving, and you still have discernment, and you're still sacrificing. But there was a time when your love for me was deeper than it is now. There was a time when the core of your service was love, not just, not just because that's what you've always done, but because you loved me. When your discernment, your love for the word, was not just because that's what you did or because that was your heritage, but because of your deep love. There was a time when your sacrifice came, not, not uh, grudgingly, but out of a loving heart because you loved me so deeply and you loved what I had done for you. And in response, you loved me. You loved the grace I had given you and you loved me in response. And you have, you have abandoned, he said, the love you had at first. There was a time when you loved me more than you love me now. We use the word backslidden to describe this. There was a time when you loved me more than you love me now. I wonder if there are any of you watching this who you could say that there was a time when I loved the Lord more. Maybe you're still faithful. Maybe you're still active. Maybe. Let me tell you a story. Years ago, we've been at uh, here at O'Fallon for, it'll be 25 years this summer, but For 10 years, I was a pastor in Texas during my seminary years at First Baptist Church of Corinth, Texas. We had a wonderful ministry there. Still have dear friends who are there. Uh, During that time, a part of that time, my wife and I lived next door to a couple named Carl and Louise. They have long, long ago gone on to be with the Lord. But, while well, we loved them. They were a wonderful couple in our church. They loved us. They supported us. They encouraged us. They were good to us. They were good to our kids. Carl had a big garden, and he would always give us food. We had so little, and he would just provide food for our growing family. We were so thankful for that. We were right next door neighbors. Every time we saw them, they were friendly to us. They loved us. But they could not seem to get along with each other. They'd been married for 60-plus years by the time um, this story comes along, but they just could not seem to get along with each other. I noticed when I came, the first, my first Sunday at Corinth, there were 19 people in Sunday school that morning, 19 people. So you kind of know where people sit. And I couldn't help but notice in our small church building then that Carl always sat on my right-hand side, preacher's right, and Louise always sat on the left-hand side. And they never sat together. They came separately to church and they sat apart. Most of the married couples sat by each other. They did not. I couldn't help but notice over the years, especially being their neighbor, that they just couldn't seem to say a civil word to each other. Now, they were always invariably kind to us. But when they spoke to each other, there was shortness and anger and animosity just over and over. We saw it many times. It would be so sweet to us, talking to our little kids, and then, you know, snap at each other about something. So, so Carl, by this time, we'd been their neighbors for a good long while. And Carl had had some illness, Uh, various in and out of the hospital, lots of just physical problems. And so one day I saw Louise in the yard and I said, Louise, how is Carl doing? And she said this, she said, well, I I talked to him last week and he seemed to be doing better. That took me aback. She, She said, I talked to him last week and he seemed to be doing better. And I said, oh, Louise, is he back in the hospital? She said, no, no, no. He's just back in the bedroom back there, back in his bedroom. She talked to him last week, and he seemed to be doing better. I found out uh, more of their story along the years. You know, they had separate bedrooms. They had separate television sets. They tended to eat their meals separately, um, sat separate places at church. They just couldn't get along very well. But that, that had not always been the case. She was, a, she was the daughter of a farmer, and Carl came to work for her father. And he saw the beautiful young farmer's daughter and his heart was stirred and he began to court her. He would come over and play checkers with her father and he would often lose because he was more interested in uh, glances at young Louise. And she thought he was the most handsome thing and wonderful man. And they would just, they would go to church picnics and socials together and talk more and get to know each other more intimately and they started to, he started to make his intentions known. And one day he asked her to be his wife and she was so excited and she said yes. And they got married before family and friends and then moved to Texas to start a life together. And now 60 plus years later, well, I talked to him last week and he seemed to be doing better. And that is not unlike, that is not unlike many Christians who at one time there was a deep, love for God they came to Christ because they recognized how deeply the Lord loved them and they responded to God's grace with, with gratitude and love and they trusted Christ as Savior and they, they were so moved by the deep love of the Father grace meant something to them they were stirred by the word of God they, they loved the things of God and now they were still in church but they just well I talked to him last week and he seemed to be doing okay and there was a time when there was real connection and closeness with God. But slowly over time, almost imperceptibly, they drifted from the things of God. This happened to many Christians. And even to active Christians who serve, who have discernment, who have sacrificed. Jesus might say, yet I have this against you. You've left your first love. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Might he not say to some of us who named the name of Christ, there was a time when you were closer to me. There's a time when your love for me was so much deeper. And now you're still doing the right things. The outside still looks fine, but the inner man, you deep inside there's a there's a lack of that spiritual depth. There's no longer the closeness we had. You still go through all the motions and all the religious activities even, but you've lost, you've abandoned your first love. Might the Lord Uh, condemn us in the same way he condemned the church at Ephesus. But there's a third thing. I'm glad the Lord condemns us. We need it. But I'm glad he doesn't leave us there. Would you write this third principle, please? Jesus corrects. Jesus corrects. He corrected the church at Ephesus. He didn't just tell them what was wrong. He told them how to make it right. And I love the Bible because it doesn't just tell us where we're wrong, though we certainly need that. But he also tells us, God's word also tells us how to make things right. And he is going to tell us to do three things. The church at Ephesus, the church in O'Fallon, our own life before God to do these three things. Would you write these three things down as Jesus corrects us when he tells us rightly where we have drifted from the things of God. He corrects us with three things. Number one, he says, remember. In verse five, he says, remember then how far you have fallen. Do you remember that time when you were closer to the Lord? Do you remember when you were more eager to spend time in his word? Do you remember when you wanted to talk to him in prayer? Do you remember how it was more than just an act that you, a perfunctory act that you had to go through, but it was a deep desire of your heart? Do you remember when you cared so deeply about the things of God, when you felt as though God was just so close to you, when your love for him was so dynamic? Remember how far you've fallen. He says, remember how far you've fallen. Remember what grace is about. Remember the depths of God's mercy. Remember the the wonders of God's plan and purpose. Remember that God is working in you. Remember what it was like. And then he says a second word I want you to write down. Write down the word repent. We cannot get away from the word repent in the Bible. Spoken of often, it's a critical word. Twice that word is used here. Remember how far you've fallen? Repent, he says. Now repentance doesn't mean feel sorry for something. That's a unfortunate misunderstanding of what repentance is in modern Christianity. It's not just to feel sorry. You can feel sorry and never repent. Repentance is where we change direction. We're going one direction and we change and go the other. We're drifting from the Lord and we turn back to the Lord and begin to live according to His purposes and plans. We turn back to Him. We repent. The Bible says we must repent. And He says um, uh, in verse... Five, otherwise I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. That's how serious it is. God wants us to remember, He wants us to repent, and then He wants us to return, to return. He says in verse five, repent and do the works you did at first. Come back to me, the Lord is saying. Come back to me. You're still doing the right things, you're in the right place, but your heart is drifted from me. Remember, repent and return. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you the story of the prodigal son. It's a great story. It's kind of become a part of our culture. People who are not even spiritually minded often at least know something of the story of the prodigal son. It's the son who takes his inheritance even before his father's died, takes off with it, wastes it all on poor living, spends it all, loses it all, finds himself in a pig pen. Boy, sometimes the pig pen, sometimes we almost have to hit bottom before we make the changes that are necessary. finds himself in a pig pen and he says to himself, comes to his senses, the Bible says, and he says to himself, well, I'm never worthy to come back as a son, but maybe I could come back to my father as a servant and at least have something to eat. And so he begins to make his way back toward his father's home, just hoping to be a servant. But the Bible says his father's been waiting for him, looking for him. And when he sees his son afar, he runs to his his son and he embraces him. He's been longing for his return and he welcomes him back into the family. This son who has been gone, when he returns, he welcomes him back. It's a picture of God the father and what he'll do for us when we return. But did did I mention that the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, isn't just about one son. It's about two. There's a second son in the story, and sometimes we forget him. And this second son, he, he was a prodigal as well. He never ran off with the inheritance. He never spent it on riotous living. But he was a prodigal right in the house. When his brother returned, there was no compassion. He didn't care about those who were lost. He didn't, he didn't care about the return of the sinner. No compassion in his heart and life, just anger and animosity and bitterness. Such a common story in American Christendom. And he, I suggest to you, was a prodigal as well. In the house. A prodigal in the house. And there are prodigals in our world who are far from the things of God and the Lord convicts them and reminds them of his love for them and when they come to faith, there's, we ought to rejoice deeply. But there are prodigals in the house as well. People who have grown up around the things of God, who know the truth of God, who've maybe even been active in the things of God. But somewhere along the way, they've left their first love. They've abandoned the love they had at first. And the Lord says to them, remember and repent and return. And when we return, we find a father who is ready to embrace us, who longs for that closeness of relationship again. And that can be yours. Some of you are listening to this, and that's, that's your story. You grew up in church and you know the things of God and maybe you're still active and you are a Christian and you know stories in the Bible. But somewhere along the way, you've begun to abandon the things, your first love, the things, that, the things of God. And there was a time when you were closer to God than you are now. And I'm asking you today, would you let God's word penetrate your heart so that you remember and repent and return so that you say, God, I want back to that close relationship, the right spirit with you so that I love the things you love. There's a closeness in our relationship together. Father, I want to come back to you. Some of you are watching this and you've never been born again and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, but the Holy Spirit is using these, these words to convict you that you are a sinner who needs a Savior. And today, if you will repent of your sins, and place your faith in Jesus who died for you and rose from the from the grave for you you could be saved today today you can give your life to Christ and i'm going to ask you to trust him as savior receive him as savior today so in a moment we're going to pray and if if you would say this is me i there was a time when i loved the lord more than i love him now and i've abandoned that first love but i want to get that right lord i want a, one day i'm going to stand before you in heaven I want this day, I want to get things right in my relationship with you so that I'm close to you and I'm returning to you with all of my heart. If, you, if you'd make that your prayer today, God will bless that. If you're being convicted that you're a sinner who needs to be saved, I want to ask you to give your life to Christ today and trust him as Savior and he'll save you. So right where you are this day, let's do some business with God. Would you bow your heads right where you are? And let's just spend a moment in prayer. Would you say, if you're a Christian who say, there was a time when I love God more than I do now, would you just admit before God, God, I'm a backslider. There was a time when I loved you more than I love you now. I'm still active, I still know the things of God. I, but God, I've forgotten how deeply that you care about that relationship. I've abandoned that first love, and so I want to return to you today. I want to remember, I want to repent and I want to return. And the Lord is willing. He's ready to receive you. Would you say, God, I want you. I want to love you like you love me. Would you say? Those of you who are convicted of sin and need Christ as Savior, would you say today, God, I want to trust you as my Savior? I know that I've sinned against you. Just tell him that, God, I've sinned against you. But I believe you died on the cross for my sins. You lived the life I couldn't live, that perfect life. And you were worthy to die on the cross for me. And and you rose from the dead to conquer sin and death and hell for me. I believe that. And so this day, I want to ask you to be my Savior. And as best I know how, I give my life to you. And please save me now. And if you mean that, he'll save you. We want you to grow in your faith. Send this word that you've trusted Christ as Savior. Text us. We want to rejoice with you. We want to help you get some spiritual growth in your life. But oh, we want to welcome you. The Lord in heaven. Rec- he loves for people to come to Christ as Savior. The Bible tells us there's rejoicing in heaven when one person repents and trusts Christ as Savior. Let God use this verse in your life, these words in your life. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for this passage. You have used it in my life in important ways. You've taught me through it. You've blessed me with it. You've guided me through it. Lord, will you use use this in the life of all who are listening today? Will you help us to see um, our need for you? We thank you for commending us for the things we do right, but we thank you, you rightly condemn us when we do wrong, when we leave our first love, but you also correct it. You correct it. So today we want to remember and repent and return. And we just believe you for great things. We thank you for teaching the church at Ephesus, the church at O'Fallon, and our own individual lives. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thanks for sharing this day with us. If you've uh, made a decision, we'd love to hear about it. Text us, email us. We'd love to hear about it. It'll encourage us and we hope it'll encourage you. If you trust Christ as Savior, if you're recommitting your life to the Lord, we'd love to hear that we'll rejoice with you. If you have a prayer request, let us know about that. And uh, we'll, 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 we'll pray with you and for you about whatever your requests are. We, we love to lift those things up to the Lord. We'll help you find a small group Bible study. One day we'll meet together again, and we look forward to that. In the meantime, we're thankful that we can uh, the Lord can speak to our hearts through his word still today. And you let God work in your life. Stay faithful in your devotional time with God each day, some time in prayer and reading the Bible, read through that New Testament and to spend some time with Lord, the Lord this week. And uh, we're, we're praying God will bless you as you follow him. Thanks for sharing this Sunday morning with us at FBCO. God bless you. Have a great week. Follow the Lord fully in Jesus' name.